DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Mike Barber, Virginia and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out the Best State Award winner, Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, PK and I have both been here and doing this long enough that we were here before Bronco was the defensive coordinator and before Bronco was the head coach. And now we're here for his return. And everything we know about Bronco says that he really doesn't like this week. Has he made it clear he doesn't like this week, or is he playing along with all the BYU questions? Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys remember, he made it clear when he took the UVA job yeah. that he didn't want to play this game. They got it pushed back. Um, he was not kidding. Like I think people took it as hyperbole when he said at the time, I hope they push this game back until I'm done coaching. He wasn't kidding. Uh, he, he knew there was a contract, and he was hoping that when he retired or left or whatever, that they could play the game then. Um, he, he's very uncomfortable with it. Um, he has a, a, a very genuine affinity for BYU that I think it goes beyond what most coaches have for their former programs. Right, because it's not just about yeah he knows some guys on the staff and yeah there's a couple players that that he was still involved in recruiting. Um, it's not that. It's it's the school. It's the place. Um, it's what it meant to him. It's how it it kind of fit with who he wants to be as a coach. Um, it, this is a very emotional week for him. His assistants. We were told flat out when we went out to practice Tuesday. Hey, they're not going to take questions about this. They're not going down that road. They they don't want to get caught up in memory lane. They're trying to focus on their job. This is a very emotionally charged week, I think, for the staff. Yeah, Mike, give you an idea how long we've been around. I used to, I spent 14 years at the Salt Lake Tribune, and I covered Kelly Papinga as a player. So we, we, we go we go back with these guys, and you know I've I've known an eye for many many years, and all that stuff. So from a distance, we watch. At least I do. I think we all do here. We watch Virginia. You know, we're not watching them every day like you are, but you know we keep track of them. And so far, the the thing that sticks out to my mind, obviously, is the incredible passing numbers, and then somehow Bronco has managed to have two opposing kickers miss field goals at the end. And I don't know. I don't know how he's done it, but uh, you know they've they've got this winning streak. They're six and two, but it seems like it's a little bit of a razor thin margin there between being six and two and being something else. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And, and you know they uh, those two games that they won with their amazing field goal defense. And I'm <laughs> kidding; it was just <laughs> shanked by the opponent. But you know, two different styles of game. Miami they came out and played really, really well. And then it felt like they kind of ran out of gas, and, and here was Miami coming back, and they held on for that one. Louisville, I mean, they got pretty well smoked in, in the third quarter there, and, and um, it looked like they were going to get blown out. And then they manufactured a, a fantastic comeback um, that would have been for naught if the field goal goes through for the opponents. So, um, yeah, you've had some, some wild ones. You've had some things about this team that are still questionable. Uh, they give up a ton of big plays defensively. Very un-Bronco, but that's a, that's a thing the last two years, really, that they've given up these 35-yard and longer uh, scoring plays, passing plays, running plays. It, it's coming all over. Um, it, it's a very interesting team. I believe they're very good. 
but they're not perfect. <laughs> and, and there are many areas they present as being beatable. So is there a common link with these big plays? They, they miss tackles, they're not athletic enough, and guys are running past him. Uh, can you draw a line and connect all these? They, they insist that it's missed assignments, and they keep saying, and, and I mean, maybe that's right, but it's not worth anything. They keep saying, like, hey, on the long touchdowns, 10 guys are in the right spot and one's in the wrong spot. And, you know, they keep repeating that the ball always finds you if you make a mistake. Um, and that's all well and good. I guess that means it's, it's easier to fix if it's so few, but they're still happening, right? They were happening just in droves going into the Duke game. Then they shut out Duke, and I think people were maybe a little quick to be like, okay, they fixed all their problems. Well, they were playing Duke. Duke's terrible. I mean, Duke's a rolling train wreck right now. So I think that was a little bit of fool's gold. And, and then we saw in this past game, Georgia Tech, even though they played better than the final score indicated, um, they won that game more decisively than, than 48-40 might tell you. But they gave up three long touchdowns in that game. So, um, yeah, you can say it's just a misassignment here or a misassignment there. Well, you better stop missing assignments or you're going to start losing football games. I read a piece that you had in the paper talking about you know just how good is this team, just how good is Armstrong, the quarterback. He's got the 3,200 passing yards. I think that's best in the country and all that stuff. But I believe you even, I know you did because I read it, you asked, you basically asked in the piece, you know, is, it, is, he, is he this good or how much of a, is it a product of the schedule because they've beaten four uh, teams that have losing records and against teams that are 500 or better, they're 2-2. Two and two. And interestingly enough, I mean, they've got a tough stretch coming up with BYU, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh, right? Notre Dame, or BYU got back in the rankings, so I know they got a buy in there too, but uh, they got three ranked opponents coming up. So basically the question being, all right, how good is this passing game? It's got incredible numbers, but against good competition, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, and I wrote that because I think it's a very fair question. Now, having watched Armstrong very closely, I think he's the real deal. Um, you know, a year ago, he had the big arm. He had good accuracy on his deep ball. Um, but he was kind of a, a rookie to the offense. And you could tell he'd go for one or two progressions, and then he'd tuck the ball and run. And it's going to sound funny when you guys hear me say this, but he hurt his knee in the Illinois game, and he's had to kind of – take it down a notch in terms of how often he runs the football. And I think it's really helped him because, man, he gets through three, four, five progressions. He can go through his reads so quickly because he doesn't have in the back of his mind, okay, one, two, and go. He knows he doesn't want to take off running, and he has been making his way through those reads. He's just he's really mastered the offense. So I think this stretch, and I don't know how Virginia is going to do in this three-game stretch, but I think that Brennan Armstrong's passing numbers are still going to be remarkable. I think he's going to be able to throw for 300 yards a game against these better teams. Um, I think people are going to really realize that this passing attack is legitimate. Um, the defense we talked about, I think there are going to be some problems in this stretch because of that defense. But I think Brennan Armstrong is the real deal. I think it's fair to question it because of who they've played. But I think he's going to... Um, I think he's going to prove himself here on this bigger stage the next three games. 
So are there receivers who are big-time problems as far as physical matchups? Are these guys mostly detailed route runners and they get themselves open and it's about the quarterback? What, what is driving this? No, there's a good mix there. It's a good question. And, you know, it's funny. I told somebody the other day, it, it feels like Virginia had seven or eight guys that you thought, man, one or two of these guys might be great this year. And so far, every one of them has been. And I don't know if they're overachieving or if they're achieving to their capability. But you look at Keaton Thompson, the transfer quarterback from Mississippi State. He has become just a, a really unstoppable weapon as a wide receiver running back uh, slash type player. Um, he's great catching the football. He runs great routes. But, guys, the thing with him is he never goes down on first contact. I mean, he catches a pass, and he's dragging defenders, breaking tackles. Um, he's just been a phenomenal weapon. Their best receiver right now, Dontavian Wicks, he was a young guy with a lot of speed. He missed last year because of an injury, and their real number one receiver suffered a knee injury in the spring. They don't have him, and everyone said, okay, can Wicks fill in for Lavelle Davis Jr.? Well, Wicks has been outstanding as a big play guy, uh, take the top off the defense. Then you have Billy Kemp. Um, a tiny little slot receiver who runs great routes and who always seems to be open, uh, especially on third down. Uh, he's got good speed, too. Um, and then Jelani Woods, the, the really massive tight end transfer from Oklahoma State, um, he gives him a big target over the middle. Uh, if you cover him one-on-one, he's going to catch a ball, right? Brennan is accurate enough that he can put back shoulder or put the ball up high wherever he needs to, and Jelani Woods is going to come down with it. So and those are four guys right there that could be the focal point of your passing game, uh, each one of them, and they've got all four right now playing at a high level. BYU has this running back, Algier, you know, 32 carries, 190 yards, I think it was last week against Washington State. With Virginia's ability to move up and down the field very quickly through the air, do you think that uh, BYU would be maybe looking toward 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 having a better ground game so they can eat up some clock and keep that offense off the field? And if so, how is the defense against the run for Virginia? Yeah, it's a good question, a good point. If it were me, that's what I would do. I would try to hold on to the football. Now, the problem is twofold. Virginia's run defense, when it's not making a mistake, has been very stout. Now, so they're hard to run on, until they make a mistake. And I think what we've seen is some teams, I'm thinking about Wake Forest, that really were like, okay, we're going to hold the football and we're going to work our way up and down the field. And a few times plays just popped and they scored maybe quicker than they wanted to. Um, Obviously, you're not going to give back the seven points. Um, It is going to be the interesting matchup in this game. I think if you're BYU, you want to try to do the Wake Forest game plan. Uh, You want to throw some underneath passes. You want to run the football effectively. Um, you want to keep your offense on the field, keep your defense fresh. And then I think when Armstrong's out there in that offense, you know, what teams have been doing, guys, is they've been mixing up their defenses a lot more than their identity. Uh, Robert and I said this to me the other day um, about Georgia Tech. Because Virginia's been so prolific throwing the football, teams are abandoning their tendencies and what they want to do, and they're just trying to mix things up to confuse Brennan Armstrong, uh, to confuse Robert and I, to, to make it a different look than what they've prepared for. And uh, that's a double-edged sword, because on the one hand, if it works, great, you confuse the other team. 
On the other hand, it means you're getting away from your bread and butter and what you're comfortable doing. Um, it hasn't worked out great for teams, but that is what we've seen. We've seen teams kind of abandon their identity to try to throw a curveball to this Virginia offense. So there's a, a weird thing here that over the last couple of years, uh, BYU has played a lot of, well, maybe even more than that, but they've played a lot of drop eight, rush three. And for whatever reason, it gets under the fan base's skin. I don't completely understand it. It's worked. They've won a lot of games. They've beaten USC and Tennessee and gone 11-1 and and blown out Boise State and all kinds of stuff. But nonetheless, people complain about it a lot. But I'm curious if there's any point in going after Armstrong because if you're throwing for 400 yards, I'm thinking people haven't been able to pressure him between protection and quick throws. Going after him probably isn't the percentage play, is it? I agree, and, and, and the thing that fans are looking at is it's a lot sexier on third and seven if you sack the opposing quarterback than you just force an incompletion or a throwaway. But if you're a football coach, you don't care, right? You want you want the stop. You want that third down conversion stopped. Um, so I get it. You know, fans love the blitz. It's exotic. Get after guy. Get him on the ground. And certainly, disrupting Brandon Armstrong is the way to go. But I think you're right. That, you know, the thing with the, the Blitz is it's a little feaster famine. And Armstrong has been so good, and he's got so many good receivers, that if you come after him and you don't get him, that's going to be a big play. So to me, the smart play is, yeah, you might rush four or five occasionally, but for the most part, you want to drop guys in coverage. You want to change up uh, what you're doing, where the help is, um, and, and you just want to make it hard for him to throw the ball downfield. You want to keep everything in front of you, right? It sounds like the boring prevent defense you play at the end of a game. But really, that's what you want to do. You want to make them earn it up and down the field. And uh, I think they're capable. But this hasn't been a great run game. Uh, when they run the ball, they do it with Brandon Armstrong, who's getting healthier. They do it with Keaton Thompson on, on jet sweeps and direct snaps. They haven't been a great traditional running back run game team. Um, that's the way, to me, that I would approach defending them. Last several years, the ACC, we think it's Clemson, right? And they've been the big dog, and deservedly so. Well, they're not this year. But the conference has the one undefeated team at 7-0, and zero, Wake Forest. Be it they're only ranked, what, 13th? And you look at their schedule, and I don't think they have a ranked team that they've played, nor, right now anyway, uh, the rest of the way, there's a ranked team because I think Carolina's been a disappointment and Clemson obviously isn't up to snuff the way they usually be. So going big picture as far as a potential playoff and an undefeated Wake Forest team, if that should happen, how do you think they fit in the mix? Yeah, I, I don't think they do. Um, and I think Wake Forest has done a really great job building up their program. Uh, Dave Clawson kind of got his start. He was a 1AA coach at Richmond, so we all know uh, Dave Clawson real well. He's an excellent coach. They, they've built up their program. They've beaten the teams on their schedule. But, yeah, you look at that schedule, and, and who do they end with? I think it's Duke, Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at BC. I think they could very well go undefeated. I don't think they're going to make the college football playoffs, and um, that's rough. I guess the exception being if Pittsburgh really – keeps it together and, and, and runs the table from here. So if it's a one-loss Pittsburgh against an undefeated Wake Forest and Wake Forest beats them convincingly in the ACC title game um, and other things happen in their favor, uh, but it's a down year in the ACC. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it isn't just about Clemson slipping. 
It's about nobody else being ready to pick up that place, right? You know, so Clemson's down this year. Is there another team that's stepping up and, and really wowing you? And you, know, you could say Wake Forest, and, and maybe if Wake Forest knew <laughs> what was coming, they would have had a better non-conference schedule. But um, I'm trying to remember, Old Dominion, Norfolk, obviously they just played uh, Army. Um, and I'm trying to think of who, oh, that, and their North Carolina game this year is actually a non-conference game. Oh, that's game, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't fill out their schedule. So maybe if they knew, hey, they were going to be 7-0, and that they would try to drop in a, a better Power 5 opponent somewhere in there. But um, it's going to be hard for the ACC. They're going to need a lot of help from the, the Big Ten and the SEC kind of eating their own here down the stretch. So Virginia does come west more than I thought, but they don't usually win uh, they might have a win at Boise State, maybe. They've got the one at BYU 20-plus years ago. But, man, they've gone to Wyoming and lost, to TCU and, and Oregon and SC. Are they doing anything special or unusual for this or addressing this? Or it's a football game and it's 8-15 and we're going to show up and be there and put hat on hat? <laughs> well, certainly that's the answers we get. The reality, though, guys, is a lot of those losses out west Virginia stunk. They were a bad football team. <laughs> I think it, it, I know that's sort of simplifying it. Yeah. Um, but those were some bad Virginia teams that went out and lost to Oregon and UCLA and all those games. This is a, a pretty good Virginia team. So I think if you're this Virginia team and Bronco, because he hasn't been uh, out west or certainly back to BYU, um, I, I think you just look at it and say, hey, we're a good football team. We can win anywhere. Now there's questions, and the guys have been asked this week about the altitude. Is the altitude going to be an issue? The late kickoff, because it's 10-15 here, is that going to be an issue? And, and they say the right things, but the reality is we don't know. Um, they may get out there and find the first quarter they have trouble with the altitude. They may find in the fourth quarter that it catches up with them. Uh, they may find that with a late start they get off to a sloppy beginning. I think we're going to know a lot in the first few drives. Is Ken Virginia, they don't have to play great in the first few drives, but they have to make sure they're not down 14 nothing. Right, get your legs under you, get used to where you are, understand, hey, you're in a real game because it's a step up in, I think, the competition level. Uh, I think the end of the first quarter, we're going to know a lot of the answers to these questions we've been talking about. Um, and at that point, though, you're in the fire. Before we let you go, Mike, I have just been told that you're a brother. You got some Jersey blood in you. I'm a Jersey native, my friend. It is so good to talk to you. Where, where are you from? Morris County, brother. Yeah, so I, I'm from up north in Bergen County, and I went to Rutgers. I started my career at Star Ledger in Newark. Oh. Uh, so yeah, Jersey boy through and through. And yeah. I moved down to Virginia and down to Virginia in 2002 and um, still miss it and still try to keep up with Rutgers, but they don't really give me a whole lot to cheer for. There's nothing like tailored ham in the morning. Is that true? There you go. Taylor ham, egg, and cheese with salt, pepper, and ketchup. <laughs> I'm from San Diego, and I don't know what you people are talking about, but I don't think I want to eat that. Well, you guys are going to have to take a road trip there. Maybe BYU-Rutgers at some point. Oh, that'd we'll be awesome. Some, uh, oh, sure, yeah. Born yeah. and raised in Jersey. Myself born in uh, Orange and then moved up to Persephone. Uh, yeah, man, I, I, I just I knew, I knew I could tell. The, the way you were talking, you had to have some East Coast blood. And then I find out, not, not just East Coast, but it's actually the hub of the East Coast, Jersey. Man, 
Right there. Like, it is so like good. We, to... Like we like to claim. Yeah. Like we like to claim the, the center of the East Coast. People think it's New York. It's really Jersey. Of course it's Jersey, man. man. It's Frank Sinatra. It's John Bon Jovi. It's Bruce Springsteen. Queen Latifah. Dana Owens. You name it, brother. Hey, all, all you need to know is that New York City has two pro football teams, yeah. and they both play in New Jersey. Of course. Of course they do. And Zach Wilson's going to go on to stardom, a Draper Utah kid in Jersey. Well, Mike, you were a really good guest until right at the end. But yeah, yeah, I think it slipped. I think your game slipped there at the end, Mike. You had some, you had some good info, but then you got. Yeah, you were, you were, you had some good info, and then you got lost in a Jersey no, swamp no, there at the end. No, man, he he was born again in the Jersey swamps and the Jersey Shore. You name it, man, Jersey boys. We're Jersey boys. Shut up. I love it. Next time I come on, you'll have to play some spring stream as my intro. There you uh, go, man. <laughs> down to the river. Tramps like us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Mike Barber, Virginia awesome. and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and apparently still, County. still a Jersey kid. <laughs> <laughs> he, was like, he was so Jersey that he didn't even want to give you credit for it. Listen, you're in Utah. I don't know if you're Jersey. Let's find out where you're from. <laughs> Well, okay. everybody and will As laugh. soon as he said that, like, okay. There. And you, you always say, you'll say first, you'll say the county. And then if they're from the same county, then you'll then get you, a little Then, you, go, then you drill a little deeper to find out yeah. the town or right. the school. Now, and there's a difference between north and south. Bergen is north. New yeah. York, there's New York, Jersey, and there's Philly, Jersey. And that's a big difference, even though it shouldn't seem it. But it's like but, you're not even from the same state, even though you are. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Lincoln Kennedy, his weekly visit, Raider radio analyst, 5-2 and two tied. Not just, not just battling for a division lead now. Now they're tied for the best record in the AFC. We'll talk with Lincoln about the Raiders and get his picks on the Pac-12 games this weekend, see where he thinks these games are headed. Utah and UCLA among the big games. Although ASU's got a big game, too. We'll talk with Lincoln Kennedy next. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hanson Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, time to welcome back Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us. On the Smart Rain guest line, Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is underway. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion. Do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning. Well, it's LK all day. Go big or go home, PKG. <laughs> well, you certainly are big. Yes, man, how you guys doing? Good. I saw a photo of you a couple years back at the... Uh, Pac-12 title game up in Santa Clara, uh-huh. and you were with all the crew who was there covering it. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you look so huge compared to guys like Yogi Roth and Mike Yam. <laughs> I get that. You know, I, 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 people say that all the time. It's, it's uh, you know, when I do the, with the games with with Roxy Bernstein, um, he has to stand on the box, so we look, you know, similar in, in the camera shot. But yeah, I, I get that quite a bit. <laughs> it's good to be with you guys. How you guys doing? You're an old lineman. Why are people amazed by this? Old linemen are not tiny people. I've interviewed no, enough of them. I, they I think all that tower when you over see me. on camera the, the the camera difference, yeah, uh, or, or and, and just I guess what people consider normal, whatever that yeah. circumstance is, you know, it's different. All right, well, we want to talk to you about the Raiders because they're not just the Raiders now. Now they're the 5-2 and two Raiders tied for the best record in the AFC after the yeah. Bengals crushed the Ravens. When you look at the Raiders, do you see a team that's got some things going well and got some things that need fixing, or do you see one of the, if not the elite team in the AFC? I would say yes to the first two questions. And the, the third question, I wouldn't necessarily deem them elite. Um, they still have some things they have to fix. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, it, it was proven last week when, when they, the Raiders played the Eagles that Derek Carr's accuracy puts them over the top. And what I mean by that is there were several throws throughout that game where Derek Carr made him by just being an accurate quarterback. There's not a lot of quarterbacks in the league that can say the sit there and say accuracy. You, you talk about strong arm, you talk about discipline, you talk about great decision making, but accuracy is one of those intangibles that a lot of people tend to overlook because they just assume that it's there. Derek Carr's accuracy put this team over the top, um, and so when you when you team that with the fact that he's got a number of weapons, we we were all of us were concerned that Darren Waller wasn't playing and wanted to see how the Raiders were going to react without one of their star players, but they may do by utilizing and a lot of the other players uh, on that offense. And then the fact that they've got a defense that can create a rush, that can get to the quarterback, that can slow some teams down and make it hard for them to score, this is a good football team. I'm not ready to say they're an elite football team. I don't think they're up there with like teams like the Buffalo Bills uh, and stuff like that. But I think this is a good football team. I think this is a football team that's capable of making the playoffs, maybe winning a game or so in the playoffs. Um, but they still have a lot of work to do. Um, they still have a lot of things to overcome. Most notably, the, the Los Angeles Chargers who are in their division who share the tiebreaker right now. Yeah, they closed the season with them, so we still yeah. have about three months to go before we get to that point or just under three months. Uh, you look at their schedule, and I got it in front of me, KC twice, and Cleveland yep. and Cincinnati should be tough. Yeah. But they got the Giants this week. Now, it's back there, so you're asking a team in the Pacific time zone to go back. Giants aren't good. They're, I think they're coming off a win, but yeah. what do you think about this game as far as, I don't know, is it a trap game or what? Because they all count. The true test for this Raiders team is to see that they can consistently beat the teams they should beat. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because a couple weeks ago when they lost to Chicago, um, you know, that was a team they should have beaten. Um, they came out and they took care of business against the Eagles. Now they have a bye. They're riding high off of a two-game win streak, and they should take care of business against the Giants. But we already know no game is, you know, a, a given. Um, last year at this time when they went back east to face the Jets, they almost lost to a truly inferior team. So I think that's going to be the true 
growth measurement, if you will, of this Raiders team. If they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat, they'll put themselves in a position to have some success towards the end of the year because there are games that are going to get you know systematically harder. But as you mentioned, the, the Chiefs, with their offense, even though the Chiefs are down defensively, with their offense, they're capable of scoring. Um, if, they, if they have a big game that goes right, and the Raiders have always had trouble with the Chiefs, only they split the, the season last year. And then you talk about you know teams like Dallas. You still got to take on the Chargers again. Look, Indianapolis and Cleveland for what they want. They're both inconsistent, but these are teams that still have the potential to make things harder for the Raiders. So the t- Raiders have got a long way to go, and at this little halfway point of the season where they got their bye. So I'm curious because it's just a two-game sample, but they got a new play caller, and that can change everything. Did it change everything, or is that just uh, a few details because it changes some things, but it doesn't change everything? It did It did open up some things. It did change some things. There's a philosophy that's been generated by a collaborative effort from Derek Carr and Greg Olson um, that wasn't there before. Everyone knew that when Gruden was in, in the position of the head coach and offensive coordinator that he was the alpha male and they were going to go their place. And there were times where even Derek tried to change him at the line or on the field, and he, got, he came under question by John Gruden. But now, for what it's worth, from what we've seen of the two-game two game sample size, um, is Derek's had complete autonomy when he's been out there. He's, he's been in, in control. And Greg Olson has allowed him because he's trusted his, his you know, thought process. It's worked out to the Raiders, for the Raiders. Um, you still see a large sample size of a check-with-me system. And what I mean by that is when they go into the huddle these days, guys, quarterbacks are calling two plays. And it's a, it's a true check with me system. You're calling two plays, anticipating what the defense is going to do. And what Greg Olson has been able to create with Derek Carr over the last couple of games is a rhythm to the offense, a, a consistent rhythm that really has been present at times but has been inconsistent. That we'll see how the second half of the season goes for him because in the past, the past couple of years especially, Teams have gotten a drop on what the Raiders chose to do and how they chose to do it, and that's why they've been inconsistent, especially the second half of the season. But it's going to be a, it's going to be a real true test for this offense to see how they go moving forward because now teams have enough games under their belt to see what the Raiders like to do and what the Raiders do well, and we'll see how they try to take that away or negate that. The Gruden thing was a big story at the time. Now it seems yeah. like it was three months ago rather than just a couple of weeks ago. And the teams come out, obviously, it's one of these two games. And, and, and now they got their bye uh, this week, obviously, and, and then New York KC and all that stuff uh, for the second second part of the schedule. I'm wondering, do you think because of all this stuff, did they needed the bye to catch their breath? Or is like this? these are professionals and they got a job to do, and it really doesn't matter all this other stuff because they're paid to win football games, so keep going. Where do you stand on that? I thought the best thing for the Raiders collectively as a team was to win the Denver game, um, especially after the Gruden stuff happened. Because, you know, the, the timing of all of it when it came out was the Friday before the Chicago game. They played incredibly flat. They got beat down by an inferior team. And then they had to answer the questions, especially when Gruden resigned on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is, following the game. Um, so the best thing for them to do was to come out and win. They, they kind of suppressed a lot of questions surrounding the Gruden situation. And then they followed that up with another win against the Eagles, really suppressed a lot of it, uh, the conversation. That's why it makes it seem like it's so far away or so long ago when it really isn't. Um, and Coach Passaccia rewarded the team by giving them the entire week off. He said, you know, after the Sunday's game in the Eagles, they had the entire this week off, this bye week off, saying they're going to report back on Monday, which is 
unheard of in my present, my understanding, because um, I think things are a lot different now. But when I played, they would never give us that much time off. <laughs> Anyways, um, it is what it is. But I, I think they needed that, and I think the reflection shows on the captains, the true leaders in that locker room, how maturely, how maturely they handle this stuff, and more importantly, how they passed it down to the team and it transcended with a couple of wins. So you rewarded them, and now you come back after the bye prepare for the Giants in the remainder of the season and you've got a big task in front of you but I think they'll be much more prepared uh, you know, to handle whether there's any lasting conversations or questions about Gruden or, or they're just moving on. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider radio analyst. Uh, I think everyone's curious, you know, when you talk about elite teams, you mentioned the Raiders are not Buffalo. Is Cincinnati in that group after what they did to Baltimore? Is Baltimore still in that group after getting blown out by Cincinnati? Or are these just one game and... The AFC, what is it, North? I think it is, yeah. um, was, was going to be competitive. We we knew it. We actually expected that Cleveland was going to be in the position that Cincinnati is now in. But Cincinnati has found their way. They found their rhythm, and they are a dangerous team. I still think Baltimore is one of those uh, teams potentially because they have both sides of the ball. We have a, a playmaker like Lamar Jackson. Even though the Raiders got him in Game One, they were down, especially with running backs and stuff like that. They were inconsistent. They found their way as well. So I think both of them are going to be a true test. The, the, the favorable for the Raiders part is that since they've already beaten Baltimore, if it comes down to a tie-breaking situation, then most likely you know, Baltimore, if, they, if the Raiders are able to win the division, Baltimore would end up having to come in, uh, back out to Legion rather than the Raiders going there. But Cincinnati, I, I do believe, is for real. I think they, they found a rhythm uh, in both their run and pass game as well as their defense. Joe Burrow is playing very well, and they're going to be a dangerous team. So the weekly question, Lincoln, that probably won't be answered until December, who's the best team in the Pac-12? It won't be answered until December. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I tried to prepare you guys the last time we talked that I thought that Oregon State was for real. And I still think that. I still think Oregon State's for real. Um, But, you know, the the, the fact is is that with the Pac-12, there's such a competitive level that that, that raises one eyebrow that – it, it depends on the, the timing. It depends on the week. Who's going to take it? I still think Utah's up there. Um, you know, I'm not a big believer in Oregon as a whole, but they find a way to win. Um, so, you know, it's anyone's guess where we're going to go from here. But the competitive level of the Pac-12 is something that's fun to watch. It's something that's fun to analyze and try to predict is even harder than anything else because it's like, you, 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 like you said a moment ago, you just have to wait to December. I really don't know who's going to be playing in Allegiant Stadium on December 3rd. <laughs> so we ex- I expect, and I think PK does too, that most of these Pac-12 games are going to have close point spreads. And you look yeah. this week, you know, two and a half, six and a half, one and a half, that all makes sense. If there's a big point spread, I expect Arizona and Colorado to be involved because they're not as good as the other 10. Right. Colorado can't score points, so Oregon's right. a 24-point favorite. Fine. USC 21 over Arizona, fine. They, but ASU is a 16-point favor of Washington State. Obviously, Ute fans want Washington State to win no, that game. I don't think it's the game. It's, a, it's the line on how many penalties they expect. Nope, that's not what it is. <laughs> it's not what it is. Could be, I get your point, but it's not what it is. Is ASU going to roll Wazoo? Ute fans want to know if you think they're in, and you live in that state. So, Do you think Washington State can go in and win that game? Because that's what Ute fans want. 
No, I think Washington State's going to put up a challenge. I think ASU's going to win, but it's not going to be by that wide of a margin. So I think Washington State's going to put up a challenge. Yeah, my thought is if the Devils commit as an alum, if they commit 10 penalties, I'm going to withdraw my $25 a year (laughs) donation to the alumni club. That's it. I've had it. I've had it, Lincoln. I'm done with it. If they get 10 penalties, forget it. It's funny because you don't (laughs) typically see a Herm Edwards coach team that lack that much discipline and it's been something that's perplexed a lot of people including me throughout this season it's like what how do you what what is this it's not something that's indicative of what we've seen in the past so yeah i, I think it's going to be the uh, ultimately the sun devils achilles heels because they're going to get themselves in a big game like they have already had and commit so many penalties they're not going to be able to win see i think it's some type of mask and if we pulled back the mask it would actually be dennis erickson coaching the team <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> Never thought about that one, but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> and Vontez Burfick committing personal oh fouls. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's going to be beautiful. All right, uh, you got the Utes or UCLA. I'll let yeah. you go on this one. Utes, Utah or UCLA? I like you. I, I think Utah is going to find a way to pull it out. I think they're going to control the game, keep it away from UCLA's offense, and then find a way to win the game. I like you. All right. We appreciate it. LK, thanks for joining DJ and PK. Oh, I love you guys, man. Appreciate All it. Right. Me. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider right. radio analyst, Pac 12 network analyst. It's a whole Halloween thing going on there, but it's year round. The ghost of Dennis. Well, well, yeah, they were very undisciplined. Though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been shockingly undisciplined. It is. Maybe now that they're not playing in the state of Utah or a Utah team. Because they've had double digit penalties. penalties in all three of the games <laughs> against Utah teams. <laughs> Thank goodness the Aggies aren't on the schedule this year. <laughs> <laughs> all right, DJ and PK. Coming up, 9 o'clock hour, Brian Geltzeiler, founder of HoopsCritic.com, is going to join us in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. (laughs) Join Jake and Ben Friday at the warehouse from 10 to noon. They'll be there tomorrow. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. I don't know why that struck me as funny, but that was ridiculous. <laughs> Catchy too. <laughs> okay, Grandpa. <laughs> I am not a grandpa. <laughs> All right, so we just heard Kyle talk about uh, your favorite Utah quarterback, the guy you saw as a starter before anybody else, and Cam Rising's numbers are great. Does it make you nervous when you see him run the ball, though? No. That he's going to take the hit? No. Because he takes the hit. But that's no different than anybody else. So yes, but no. It's part of the game. Well, there are quarterbacks who don't take the hit the same way. I would agree with you that more quarterbacks... last week in the pocket? I I would agree that more quarterbacks take the hit than don't. (laughs) 
I was really impressed with that South Florida. The team was terrible, but the quarterback was really good, and he did not. He made big plays and did not let BYU hit him. And then uh, Illinois. At uh, I think it was one of the overtimes. <laughs> all list the quarterbacks who got blasted. But but, but you saw his arm. Uh huh. Just go and you you look. My, I was watching it with my wife and she turned away. Ah, yeah, that type right, of thing. Yeah. I mean, it bent the, and then then we find out he's got a broken arm. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. I ain't no doctor. I did pre med <laughs> for a while. Friday nights. Mm-hmm. And, until State. I established myself, <laughs> so to speak. And, and you could see that 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 sucks big time. So no, and it's all riding on Cam. And don't say that I said that Cam Rising is the starter. You're using way too many letters. You only need the first four letters of starter. What I said he would be. <laughs> that star. If you're doing that uh, word puzzle in your head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thomas Rhett, who I plan to see in February, has a song out. Star of the show. This guy is the star of the show. No, it's amazing to me. He's the best scrambler that I've ever seen to get a first down without being a big-time runner. Like Lamar Jackson's a big-time runner. You see him run for a big deal. I've seen that a million times. Taysom Hill. Seen that a million times, right? But Cam... Well, the whole pocket big, is collapsing on him, but and somehow he escapes and gets a first down. Okay. Fran Tarkington told me he was impressed. Fran Tarkington. I am tempted now to break down Fran Tarkington <laughs> versus Cam Rising, because I think that's a terrible comparison by you. I don't even know what Fran Tarkington was about. It, it just was, came into my mind. He was elusive. I remember him for with uh, Cam is, one gal doing the TV Oh, they did shows. a show. Yeah. I saw that's him. incredible. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thanks. So I know that's incredible. Uh, by the way, that's incredible was just TikTok and YouTube before TikTok and YouTube. Good point. But they were on to something. <laughs> no, but he, I saw a video of him actually the other day. He actually scored a touchdown. A guy pushed him out of bounds. He turns around and just chucks the ball at the guy's helmet. Fran Tarkenton? It was a different yes, era. he's a feisty dude, man. It was a different era. Yeah. Cam he was small. Cam's may- not that small. Oh, but nobody is Cam's, anymore. Cam's strong and fast. But it looks like he's got nothing going on. And he's not a take-off guy. Like, I expected Hill and Jackson to take off. I don't expect that. Somehow, Rising makes something out of nothing there. More and of a true gets, pocket It's passer. like third and 12, and he's weaving his way, and the next thing you know, he's got a first down. It's incredible. DJ and PK coming up next. NBA, Brian Geltziler. What does he think of the Jazz chances this year? Who are the big dogs in the West? Five teams perceived as big dogs, were all beaten last night. The Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, the Nets, the world champion Bucks, all beaten. Brian Geltziler, next. Stay with us.